Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our Stockwell service. To find out about upcoming talks at each of our services, or to listen to other talks, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Morning, everybody. It is so wonderful um, to be here this morning, and thank you for your encouraging introduction, Lars. First time I've ever been described as a catastrophe, (laughs) but I think I loved it, thank you, (laughs) in the best possible way, I know. Um, I'm actually so delighted to be here at uh, the South Service this morning. I've actually, uh, and even, even more thankful to be able to share God's Word with you today. I have longed to be here with you. I know that many of you have felt battle-weary, and I have longed to come and encourage you um, in the Lord. And as I have prayed for this service, I have just felt that this next season for you is a season where God is coming to undergird you with His strength and with His courage. And I can see that God is putting on you. He's repairing and refixing on you the armor of God, that breastplate of righteousness to know who you are, whose you are, but also bringing the courage of his strength and that shield of faith. Um, and, I, and I just am excited to see how the next months unfold and just know God's strength and courage um, undergirding and you know, reinforcing your battlement um, in, the, in the coming months. This morning, we are continuing our series, Life to the Full. Okay? And this is a series where we are looking at what it means to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Uh, how it, uh, what it means you know, to be formed and changed and transformed by that presence of Jesus in our lives. And this is at the heart of who we are as a church, that deep desire to grow as disciples of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I do not want to look the same in 10 years' time or 5 years' time or even at the end of this year as I did when I started. And one of the keys... Um, or key marks of a disciple is that we are led by God. We are not doing the leading, but we are following and we are led by God. And today we are going to dive just that bit deeper into this theme of being led by God. Now, we are following many things um, in, our, in our world today. We follow the weather, especially here in the UK. We follow the news. We follow our favorites on social media. And um, perhaps we've even had a good look this morning. We follow the job market. Maybe you might follow the latest research 
church or thought leaders, or maybe just the latest fashion and newest releases on Netflix. But we are actually following many things in each of our days, and each of these orient and they shift the way we act, the way we think about ourselves and others and the world around us. But what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And it's really interesting because over the last couple of months, I found myself asking questions personally of a similar theme. Lord, what is it that you have for me in the, this next season of my life? And so that I can follow you. And rather than God coming to me and giving me really specific directions, it's felt like he's led me more or drawn me more into consecrating my heart before him afresh, giving my heart to him afresh to say, yes, Lord, I will trust you. And wherever you lead, I will follow. And I wonder if I can ask you guys that same question this morning. What does it mean for you in your life to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean for you to be led by him? Some of us might be kind of just on the outside of that journey and asking questions about who he is. And church is a wonderful place to be discovering those more. But for those of us who are on that path of faith, what does it mean for you personally to be a follower of Christ? And whose lead are you following in your life? I remember the first time that um, Barry, who is my husband, he's not here with us, he's with my three girls at the other service, but um, I remember the first time we drove in London. We'd literally been in the UK two months, and we had bought this chest of drawers on eBay, and we needed to go fetch it, so of course, we hired a zip car, and um, off we went from somewhere, Highbury, Islington, all the way over to West Hampstead, except we had no clue where we were going. But don't worry, I was prepared. I had printed off five A5 sheets, A4 sheets of map instructions, okay? It was the days before we had maps on our phone, and I was prepared. So we hopped in the car, and I was going to navigate. And and true story, before we even left Highbury, we were lost. And what looked like really clear, like instructions on my set of paper, in reality looked so much more different to the kind of turns and roads that we were being presented with. And in my kind of desperation, I was looking at road signs and maps to try and get some clues. I was even looking at what other cars were doing, you know, as if they knew where we needed to go. Um, but we got thoroughly lost. And in a moment, it suddenly dawned on us, the car's got sat now. So there we go. We were back in the game, and we were directly reconnected to the source. We had real-time, live navigation, and we finally made our way to where we needed to go. But I tell the story because I think it's quite similar to our own walks and our journeys with God. We can have kind of a vague sense of where it is we need to go in life. You know, we've got this vague destination out there, and then we sort of disconnect a bit from the source, and we quite easily take the navigation into our own hands. Um, and sometimes we bump our heads along the way. We can have this plan of where we think we should go or what our lives should look like. Um, and on the way, we look at the signposts of societal expectations. Maybe it's for achievement, success, job, your life stage. 
And we use those to direct us. Perhaps we even look at others and we compare ourselves and think, ooh, I need to be a little bit more like that. Or perhaps I should be doing this. But this was never how God intended it to be. For us to take the navigation into our own hands. God has always intended for for us to walk with Him. For Him to be the one who is leading us through the uncharted terrain of life. Step by step. You know, in that story, we didn't know our, our location or our destination, but Satnav did. And that's the exact same place we find ourselves in as the children of God. We don't know our location or our destination, but Jesus does. And he wills to walk with us every single step along the way. His intention is for us to live live connected to him. And you know, Jesus not only intends to walk with us, but he has full authority to do so. The Bible tells us that he is the author and the perfecter of our faith, right? So not only has he walked this road of life, he has gone through it and perfected the way through for us. He knows the route through. So whose lead are you following in your walk with God? This theme of being lovingly and faithfully led is is really a kind of a foundation that our discipleship journey flows out of. And it is a central theme that we see throughout the Bible. So we're just going to take a moment now and we're going to look at how that theme of being lovingly led by God unfolds for us um, in the Bible. So we see... In the start, in the Garden of Eden, don't worry, we're not going to go through it book by book. <laughs> Just one, two, skip a few. We'll do the beginning and a bit toward the end. But in the Garden of Eden, we see that God's whole purpose is to walk with Adam and Eve. And as he does, that they will reflect his character and his values and rule the earth on his behalf. Friends. We were made to be God's partners in ruling the earth. But we know the story didn't end like that in Genesis, did it? We see that man decided to take his own lead and not to trust God. And the consequences were dire. Relationships began to break. We see intimacy with God was shifted. And sin and suffering entered our world. But even in that moment, that place of big rebellion against God, we see God's beautiful hand of grace and mercy. And in that moment, he comes and he offers us a promise of rescue, even at that moment. And we see, as we continue with the story in the Bible, that this um, promise of rescue, God chooses a family and he says, listen, somehow through you guys, I am going to rescue the whole of mankind. And this family, they become a nation. And so God invites them into a beautiful partnership. He invites them in to this wonderful, loving covenant relationship where he says, I will walk with you and you will walk with me. And in turn, we can reflect or you can be shaped and reflect my values and my character and represent me to all the other nations on the earth. Doesn't it sound good? Except the ceremony, that covenant or that that partnership ceremony wasn't even over when the people were breaking the terms of the partnership. They were down at the bottom, taking the lead in their own hands again and bowing down to a golden calf. 
And this happens on repeat for this nation and for this, these people of Israel throughout their story that we see in the Bible. But what I want to mention here is that this tension exists throughout the whole Bible. Will we trust for God to show us the way of life? Will we follow his lead or will we take autonomy for our lives into our own hands and define what our lives should look like? Thankfully, God's rescue plan did not end with that family. And amazingly, um, even we see Jesus comes, God's own son. He comes in and himself walks in the treachery and in the darkness of what our world has now become as we have been walking with ourselves in charge. And he lives and shows us what it is to walk a life of following God's ways perfectly. Now, I know I'm not telling you guys anything new. It's just the story of the Bible woven. But the theme is here that Jesus himself came into our world. And he showed us how it is to walk that life perfectly with God again. And he is that faithful Israelite or that true Adam, you know, the true human in the garden that we were all supposed to be but actually all failed miserably in. And what Jesus done, does when he comes is that he overcomes that sin and that darkness and that suffering. And he doesn't do it through violence. And he doesn't do it through war. He does it by allowing it to kill him instead of us. And this most powerful act of true love and forgiveness is stronger than death. It's stronger than darkness. It's stronger than the greatest evil that ever existed in our world. And death cannot hold him. And he is raised to new life on our behalf. Jesus has ushered in, friends, a new way of living for you and for me. And the life of a disciple is marked by being miraculously transported from that pathway of death, self-in-charge that leads to self-destruction and transported into a pathway of life. It says in Romans chapter 8, through Jesus Christ, the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Jesus, friends, has set us free from a spirit of death that pursues life with ourselves in charge. And has given us a new spirit, his spirit that now lives in us and wills for us to follow the, the way of God we are a new creation. This is powerful, friends. We are a new creation. It says, if you are in Christ, the new creation has come. That old way has gone. And even better, the same Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. We no longer seek a life where we put ourselves in charge, but rather seek a life that follows God's Spirit living in us. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So by definition, we are followers of Christ. Christians, the word actually means those who are adherers of the way, they are followers of Christ. That's who we are. And through our faith in Jesus, but also being empowered by His Holy Spirit in us, we are now followers of His way and His example. And once again, humanity gets a second chance. 
we get to reflect his character and his values again to the world around us. We are not leading our relationship with God. We are in fact following him. And even that following has been empowered by God's spirit in us. So how does God lead us? And how do we follow? Well, I want to just take a moment to look at this amazing example. Because when I consider um, a follower of God, there is this most precious example of a woman that lived 3,000 years ago. Now, she was pretty poor. And actually, she was a foreigner to the people of God. And she was a widow. And so she had no legal rights or status. And actually, she didn't have many possessions of her own. And probably, she didn't have much um, to her name or to her future. And yet, you wouldn't think she would be someone who goes, goes down in the history books of time. But she is not missed by God. And I just want to say today, friends, that nothing is lost on God, that every bit of your quiet devotion, your faithfulness in prayer, every moment that you choose to follow God's way instead, love instead, forgiveness instead, honesty instead, integrity instead, God sees, friends, and he knows and the name of this character in the Bible is Ruth. And we see that she has lost many things in her life. She's lost her father-in-law, her brother-in-law, and even her own husband. And at this moment of deep loss, she turns to her bereft mother-in-law and she sees, says these most precious words of devotion that say, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. How many of you would say that to your mother-in-law? <laughs> Let's hope there's a few of us. <laughs> But wow, is that not devotion right there? She chooses to follow a widow and confine her life to almost certain poverty, okay, instead of going back to her own family where security and provision can be found. What she has found is far more precious than what she has left behind. She is compelled to follow God and his people, forsaking all else. And the description actually that comes in just before this, the, this um, narrative that we read now, there's a moment where it describes Ruth as her mother-in-law is urging her to leave her. She sa it says, but Ruth clung to Naomi. She clung to her. And I love this so much because she expresses her devotion by clinging. And I think that as the followers of Jesus, that we too are like those who cling to Jesus, not letting him go, following him wherever he may go. And it's said of Jesus when he walked this earth that the people were amazed by him. They just wanted to hang out with him. His words were gracious. And even when he went on his own trying to find a place to pray, it says that the people were looking for him. And when they came to him, him to where he was. They tried to keep him from leaving them. They just wanted to be by Jesus. They just wanted to hear his words. They just wanted to cling to him. So who is this shepherd and how does he lead us? 
And one of the wonderful, one of the wonderful metaphors we see in the Bible of the one who leads us is this metaphor of the shepherd king. And that brings us to the verse that we read this morning or the passage we read this morning. Many of us will know it. And if you're anything like me, you can be so over familiar with this psalm, as beautiful as it is, that it can take you, that you can almost lose some of the power or like miss some of the power that's in it. And you, it, in, if you're like me, it could take you back in your mind to those sort of primary school assembly days. Maybe it takes you back to your own Sunday school with that like lovely ethereal picture of Jesus with the sheep around his neck and the staff in his hand. And it can take you to these these kind of places. And you can almost, if you're like me, even think when I looked at this again, I thought, oh, oh no, not Psalm 23 again. Um, give me something new. And my mind can go to those places and it can miss the power and the beautiful promises God has vested for us in these verses. And you see, in the images of the soft, cuddly, fluffy sheep that are conjured up by Psalm 23, we can forget that it is a psalm of David. David was a mighty warrior. He was a fighter. He was a fugitive. He was also overlooked by his father. He was hated by his boss. He was betrayed by his counselor. He was undermined by his son. He lost a child. And even beyond that, there are many more things. But what he was also was a shepherd, and it's a role he knew well. And he was also one who was familiar with distress. And he knew what it was to experience his own shepherd coming to bring comfort and reassurance and guiding him through. And he says, <clears throat> and um, yeah, so before we get to the psalm, I just also wanted to mention that this idea of a shepherd is also not such a familiar one, particularly here in London. Um, we're not so familiar, but the, 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 or maybe some of you are, maybe it's just me, but those Palestine shepherds of old, they were quite amazing because they, they were always with their sheep, okay? They gave their lives essentially for their sheep. And they would, as you imagine, lead them to nice pasture lands or they led them to waters, but at night led them into the safety of the fold to sleep. And the sheep knew them well. They also didn't they were so familiar with them because they were always with them. And they also didn't drive their sheep. They didn't go out with a stick and drive. But what they would do is go out ahead of them and they would open the gate and they would call them each out one by one by name. And the sheep would follow in turn because they knew and were familiar with the voice as well as with their name that was being called. And Jesus uses the same um, idea to express of himself as the good shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When the shepherd has brought out all of his own, he goes ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. So we see that there is this very comfortable and a very close bond between sheep and shepherd and a real sense of security that comes to them from close proximity to the shepherd. David draws on his real life experience here when he talks about who this shepherd is. He understood the cares of a shepherd. He, under knew, he understood the needs of the sheep. And he uses that knowledge to express a powerful metaphor of his own experience of being led by the shepherd of his soul. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall lack 
nothing. He makes me to lie down in green pastures, leads me beside quiet waters, and refreshes my soul. I want to pause here for a moment with us. And I wonder if we can just take a moment. I don't want us to miss what this is saying. And maybe if you feel comfortable to do so, you could even put your hand on your heart. And you could say, maybe aloud or on your breath, or whatever you are comfortable with, this verse again with me. The Lord is my shepherd. He's my shepherd. He is wholly devoted to me. Okay? He is so personal. It's not a shepherd. It's my shepherd. And don't you think it's so crazy that God, okay, equates himself or compares himself to the office of a shepherd? Just say, for example, I came to you and I said, Liz Truss is my shepherd. Or Jeff Bezos is my shepherd. Even better, King Charles is my shepherd. No, these guys wouldn't shepherd me. They'd get someone else to do it. They'd probably pay someone else to do it. They don't have the time. But get this, our God, creator of heaven and earth, he gives himself to this role in our lives every single day. And Charles Spurgeon says of this verse, What condescension is this, that the infinite Lord assumes towards his people the office and the character of a shepherd? If the creator of the universe comes to me and says, I want you to be in my personal fold. I want you to be in my personal care. I'm going to say yes to that. I'm not saying no. And I say yes to that by cultivating a walk of dependence on Him, of going to Him for my every need, for my every time I am in want, for my direction, provision, protection, for your whatever it is in your life today. And when I do this, here's what I get. I lack nothing. Who lacks something today? When I am my shepherd, when Angie is my shepherd, I lack a lot. When God is my shepherd, when I'm going to him, I lack nothing. We may not get what we want every day, but we will never lack what we need in any day. With the Lord as my shepherd, he is able to supply all of my needs, and he is certainly most willing to do so. I have access to every spiritual blessing in Christ, do you need wisdom today? Is it comfort, breakthrough, encouragement, compassion? Come, there is an endless supply from our shepherd. Come and get your daily dose and you will want for nothing. And when you come to Jesus, who is it that you expect to find there? Pause for a moment. What is he like in his attitude or his character and his nature toward you when you come? Does it sometimes feel like he's a bit disappointed? Maybe a little bit condemning? Perhaps he's just a bit impatient with you today. I mean, how many times can you mess up? Okay. Maybe he's a little bit critical and even distant. But when Jesus describes, friends, his heart for you, it could not be more different and more surprising. He says in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all of you who are weary. Is there anyone who is weary? I've seen a few yawns. I know we are a bit weary physically. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. 
and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. When Jesus gives us a peek into who it is we can find, expect to find when we come to him, his answer is gentle and humble. And I brought this amazing book with me today. You guys might like to have a read. Some of you probably already have. But it's a book by Dane Ortland, and he describes and goes into beautiful insight into just what these verses mean. And in this moment when Jesus says, I am gentle, Dane Ortland uses this description. Meek and humble is our Jesus. Gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh, He's definitely not reactionary, easily exasperated. He's the most understanding person in the universe. And the posture most natural to Jesus is not a pointed finger to you, friend, but it is open arms. Your shepherd's most natural posture when you come to him at any moment, any time, in any day is humble, it's gentle, and it's with open arms. That second word, lowly, is a really interesting one to me. I actually find it a little shocking or surprising because it is a word that's used in the Bible to describe people of low status, you know, socially unimpressive kinds of people, and of which we are in many ways. But it doesn't seem appropriate for the king of heaven, don't you think? And yet Jesus uses this of himself. And when he does, it's because he wants to show us that he is absolutely accessible. And Dane Ortland uses this description as well. It says, for all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, the supreme uniqueness and uh, his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus Christ. There are no prerequisites. There are no hoops to jump through. The minimum bar to be enfolded into the embrace of Jesus is simply open yourselves up to him. It is all he needs. Indeed, it is the only thing he works with. And you know, friends, when I go and fetch my girls from the school gate after school, they don't need to straighten their uniform, tidy their hair, and put on their best face. In fact, when they come to me, sometimes they run out to me. Sometimes they stomp with a grumpy face to me. Sometimes they have a quivering lip and they run and bury their face into me. Other times they just come and throw everything that they've been holding on inside of them at me all in one go. But my point is this that the moment they see me, they can stop pretending and they can come to me just as they are. I am their mum, and God is your good shepherd. Stop pretending. Just come to Jesus exactly as you are. All he requires is we open ourselves up to him. You don't have to unburden yourself before you get to him. It is your very burden that qualifies you to come to Jesus. It is, in fact, the very reason why he came, because we are burdened. And he longs to carry it, to lift it from us on our behalf. What is it that you need today? Your Savior, your Shepherd is the most understanding and accessible on the planet. What the heck are you waiting for? Come to him. The Lord is my shepherd. I need not be in want. So how does he lead us? In these next few verses, we see he, he guides and he provides. And it goes on to say, <clears throat> he guides me along right paths for his name's sake. Sometimes we need green pastures. Sometimes we need a, need a little bit of fresh water. But our good shepherd 
is wholly attentive to our needs and he knows just what they are. And like sheep, God desires that we are wholly dependent on our shepherd for our sustenance too. Louis Giglio says this, you were created to be led. If God's not leading you, it means you're being led by something else. Sometimes it is the deep fears of the heart that can lead us instead. Jesus is jealous for us here at church. He wants to be the one leading us. And when we come to him and say, here I am, wholehearted devotion, I will follow you. Here is what we see, church. See what we get. Paths of righteousness. He leads us on these paths of righteousness where more and more of God restoring right paths in our lives, restoring right ways of living, right relationships in our lives, more of Him being reflected into this world. Jesus is restoring us as His church to walk with Him as He intended in the Garden of Eden, to be shaped by His characters and His values, and to have these like new paths, more of his paths of righteousness reflecting into our lives, but also through our lives to the world around us. Like mighty shards of his light breaking in and overflowing from our lives, making wrong areas right again, binding up brokenhearted, proclaiming good news for the poor, freedom for their captives, comfort for those who mourn, and beauty for ashes, as, we, as it goes on in Isaiah 61. Friends, as we follow our good shepherd, he will establish right paths in our lives and through our lives in the world around us. More of his kingdom will come, and guess what? It will bring his name and make his name great. For whose name's sake? Me? No, for his name's sake. It is the mighty and triumphant declaration through our lives as the church that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. This is the inheritance. This is the possibility, friends, of the church who follows her good shepherd, who wants to come along. And just lastly, when we look a little bit at how God leads us, there are times when we are going to walk through the dark valleys and the moments of opposition in our lives. I spend a lot of time in this place with people. And sometimes in life we will go there. And sometimes when we're in that place, we can think, where are you, God? Where are you? Or we can think, what the heck did I do wrong and why are you punishing me so much? And actually, as we go through these times, it can trigger new thoughts in our mind about ourselves and about others, but also about God. And when they go unchecked, they can begin to form new beliefs in our lives about who we see God to be. But today, the good shepherd comes to us and he reminds us, not true. We need to come back to the truth of our good shepherd. It's true, sometimes our choices, they do bring suffering. But that's not always the case. And what is most certainly never, ever, ever the case is that it is not God punishing us. It's certainly never the case. Jesus came to do the exact opposite. He came to take that punishment on our behalf. But we live in a world that has welcomed darkness. And there are times when we are just going to have to walk through it. Jesus said, here on earth you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but cheer up, I have overcome the world. Suffering is not part of God's original plan. It is an alien intrusion in his world. Some of you right now might be in that very place 
of darkness or the dark valley. And Jesus reminds us as he does as our dark shepherd, you are never alone. Jesus doesn't ever minimize our pain, but he sees. And what we feel in these places is often very real, friends. Sometimes it can be distress or fear, uncertainty. Lou was talking about mental health, worry, inadequacy. Maybe it's rejection or false accusation, loss, pain, sadness, even deep trauma. Sometimes we can see and f- see and feel, and what we do see and feel can feel bigger than our faith. And our typical human response in these moments can be one of three things. We can either fight God or resist his leadership. Or two, we can avoid him. We can flight from him. We can sort of um, busy ourselves or look elsewhere to false refuges for a bit of comfort. Or when it feels so big, we can start to shut down and turn away from him right away. And in that place, Jesus comes to us today and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I am with you. You are in good company, friends, if you are in that place. Because your good shepherd was a man who suffered. He knew pain firsthand. But the fact is, it wasn't his own pain. He carried ours on our behalf. He came for the sole purpose of carrying every single bit of our brokenness. He climbed into that hole with us and he co-suffered with us. We have a shepherd who understands what it like to be in our shoes. Hebrews 4 says, we do not have a high priest who's unable to feel our sympathy and weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, but um, just as we are, but he is without sin. Let us then approach God's throne with boldness. And what do we get? Mercy and grace in our time of need. God knows just what our testing times feel like. And he walks with us. He sits so close with us. He's just so there with us. And there are times when those that pain feels biggest and sometimes we can feel most alone and so unique that it feels like it alienates us from everybody else. This verse brings us back to the truth that there is no pain that he has not been willing to carry and share in spiritually, physically, relationally, emotionally. He too endured all of that in the past and now indeed carries it for us. And even if it's us who have sinned, I just want to mention Jesus understands, friends. Not because he sinned, but because he knows what the full strength of temptation is like. And he endured even further than us because when we fell down, he carried on all the way to the end. He gets it, and he comes with mercy and compassion to us. Don't turn away from him in the dark valley. Run to him instead. Where might you find yourself as we end? I don't know if the band is going to come up, but we are finished now. Where might you find yourself in your journey and your your walk of following God? We can't see what the road ahead will hold for us. Who knows? But we can know that the great shepherd of our souls is with us, right? And we can follow the wisdom of Proverbs in our response back to him. Trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure it out all by yourself. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. And everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. And as we cultivate the spirit of dependence on him and of following him, surely, friends, as the psalmist says, 
goodness and his unfailing love will be with us all the days of our lives. We're going to take a moment to worship now. And as we do, why don't you come to your good shepherd? Maybe it's just offering and consecrating your life afresh to him again and saying, Jesus, my trust has been in many things. But today I'm coming. I'm coming. I'm coming to put it back in you. Some of us might be in deep need this morning. Need for our souls. Come. Come and feast. There is the greatest feast in Jesus. Let him satisfy your soul, friends. And in that dark valley, perhaps you find yourself, come, receive what you need. He is with you. So maybe we can stand I will pray for us as we lead into worship. Lord Jesus, you are our great shepherd. God of comfort, God of hope, we want to follow. When we hear who you are, we long to follow. When we see what there is that is in store for us as we come to you, we bring our hearts to you and say, Jesus, where else can we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Come today, Father. Come and let your children come back to their shepherd. As we lift our hearts to you, Jesus, come. Comfort, mercy, grace, every supply. In Jesus' name.